Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Megan's Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Leigh Ann here. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, how you doing? Doing well, man. And we also have Jamie back on the line. Jamie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, so we are back. There is no new Star Wars content. That's it. None. So Why are we podcast, here? Podcast over. That was a lot of fun. No, we, as promised, toward the end of our last episode, which was a recap of the finale of the Obi-Wan series, we were going to start talking about some of the movies. So today we thought we would hop on the line and talk about episode one. So has everybody done their homework? Has everybody gone back and watched the entire movie of episode one? Spencer? Uh, I have, and it was the first time I'd watched it start to finish completely since I saw it in theaters. Jamie? I did. I did. About about a week ago. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, that's perfect. Yep, I have two. So we've all seen episode one. So this is going to be kind of a loosey-goosey podcast, right? Because, like, typically what we would do in a Magnum Talk Star Wars podcast, if we are covering new Star Wars content, I would go through a very detailed review, a recap. We would quote a lot of the lines. We would hit it beat by beat. Do not see the need to do that for an entire film, especially one that is over 20 years old. So what we are going to do is just talk about the general beats of the movie, right? I'm going to say, and then, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin or Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon were meeting with the Trade Federation, right? I'll say mm-hmm. something that general and we'll just talk about the scene. We'll talk about anything that comes to our mind and we'll just kind of, kind of give general thoughts about the movie, where it fits in with the overall Star Wars narrative and anything else that's on our mind as we go. We won't have any type of segments. It's just a general recap and discussion of episode one and our feelings about it because uh, episode one, probably the most controversial of the star Wars films, except for maybe rise of Skywalker. I think it's like episode one and rise of Skywalker are probably like one and two, as far as most hated and then most championed by the people who like them. So uh, I might throw last Jedi out there too, just to say the internet is still a fire with respect to it. Yeah, I, I would definitely put those two from the sequels that I love. If you're saying the most controversial, um, I think both of those blow this one out of the water, <laughs> but it's not as manny. Well, the general like aggregate review sites have Episode One and Revenge of Sky or uh, Rise of Skywalker as the two lowest, um, and then I think after that it's um, uh, Last Jedi and then Attack of the Clones. Uh, so I don't know. I- anyway, it's in the conversation for a Certainly. pretty controversial Star Wars movie. I remember. My time uh, with this movie. So this movie came out, I think, in like, what, 1999, something like that? Yep, May. Yeah, and I was 14 and a massive Star Wars fan and couldn't believe we were getting a new Star Wars movie. My brother, 10 years older than me, had grown up watching Star Wars. So I went to the movie theater in our little teeny town and uh, went the night before with a sleeping bag and stayed on uh, on the sidewalk there. And was like the fifth person into the theater. So I was pretty fucking amped for this film. And uh, well, I left there thinking it was the greatest thing in the world. I was promptly told by everybody uh, in media that it was not. <laughs> and I've spent, uh, now we've had 23 years of people telling me that it's not as good as I originally thought it was. Can, can, can I get, can I first say, I, I'm so sorry for everything I've bad said <laughs> I feel bad for crushing you with the truth. I'm sorry for it. But second, do you still feel as positive about it? Because I have some movies that that has happened, and I felt that positive forever. And somewhere, uh, including one of the sequels, that once people explained why they disliked it, I kind of agreed with them. So, so how do you feel now compared to then? 
I think I watched it again yesterday. I think that is the most honest viewing of the film I've ever had, I think, because I was able, I think, to see I'm years removed from it. I'm years removed from that excitement of like the months build up and like sitting on like laying on the sidewalk to watch it. And like all my friends are excited. I'm also removed from that period right after where I felt the need to fight people about it. Like, I don't really care if you don't like the movie anymore. So, like, I feel like it's a more honest viewing of it. I think I saw the faults. I think I saw some of the things that were good about it. But ultimately, I think my my sort of I won't bury the lead. My moral of this review of this movie and how I think about the movie now is a flawed film that was ultimately necessary to tell the entire story of Anakin Skywalker. They had to they had to like this movie had to be made. This part of the story had to be told in some capacity. I mean, how the hell did this little kid from Tatooine find his way onto Coruscant being trained by a Jedi Knight like that part of the story had to be told. The execution obviously was flawed in parts. I mean, it's hard not to see that, but there are some really good parts of it too. So I think anytime, look, only a Sith speaks in, speaks in absolutes. Okay. Like only a Sith. It's not all good. It's not all bad. There, there are good parts and bad parts. And I am excited to discuss it with you guys. Uh, Spencer, you've been quiet so far. What is your history with the film and what are your current thoughts of the film? Sort of an aggregate. Sure. I mean, I'm a little younger than you guys. I saw it when I was about two months from my 13th birthday. Um, saw it in theaters and went with all my friends, party of like nine of us all saw it together on like the second day after release. And I liked it the least of my group when I saw it, but I still didn't like it. What? I know. Shocking. You I'm tell blowing me, people out of the water with this. You mean to tell me you went with a group of people who were really excited about something, a piece of art, and you were the negative person? I know. But look how much I've changed since all those years ago. Uh, I did it's like cute. it, though. Because I think, I think it does at least end on an exciting kind of upswing by the end in terms of what it's going through. Yeah, uh, sure. Had some complaints going through. There's a long period, like, you know, after the middle of where not much happens. There's some certain scenes. There's some weird plot. Whatever. Was, even at the time, I was getting a little bit bored or confused. And That's not true. It's really good. No, I'm just kidding. Then we all bought it on VHS. Anybody remember what VHS was? Uh, and we watched it like a year after it came out, like a birthday party. And then, 13, year later, none of us liked it. We got about a third of the way through it and went, oh, this is all worse than we remember. No, what no, else is on? Uh-uh. Nope. That I'm, is what I'm happened. Dismissing, I'm this dismissing the this. story. No, let me tell you what happened. I, I wasn't there. I don't know you people, and I absolutely don't know this at all, but I'm going to tell you what happened. Okay. You all you all read the reviews, and you were told at school Wait. that it was bad. You How heard on the news it was bad. Reviews. Oh. 13-year-olds are going on to Cisco and Ebert. Well, first of all. Washington Post every day. Yeah. No, you were inundated by society and told it was bad, because that's what happened with this film. Everyone was excited to watch it. People watched it, and they, to varying degrees, generally liked it. This is my experience. And then when they got out, they were told for years after how bad the movie was. And it it definitely jaded some people's opinion. Did it yours? I don't know. But that did happen to some people. Did that influence around the margins? Yes. Were we all really excited when the VHS went into the VCR? Also, yes. We all were really looking forward to this is how we're going to spend this evening of the birthday party is watching this film. So this doesn't suggest that everybody was so thoroughly sullied on it they didn't even want to give it a try. Everyone was in for it. As they were looking at it and listening to it and actually paid attention. Is that what you're saying? 
I'm suggesting that the starry-eyed glare that everybody went into it for is die-hard Star Wars fans that have been reading the books and playing the video games for, you know, all of their memoring life, then went in there and like, okay, we've left the theater, it's been a year of, a year without it, let's watch it again, and suddenly viewed it in the cold light of day and could not ignore the flaws in a way that their rosy-eyed glasses were able to cover up previously. Well... Jamie, so here, so everybody who follows Bingham Talks podcast knows that I'm a wrestling fan. So here's what's happened in this podcast. So Jamie has come out in the arena. He said, I've never been to Fort Worth, Texas before, but all your women are ugly and I hate all you people. And I, I can't wait to get the hell out of Texas. Ja- Jamie is the heel of this podcast. He's, he's established this early on. So I'm going to give you some space to do your heel thing. Tell us how much this movie sucks. So. I, I perhaps I'm going to underwhelm you because there are a lot of ways where I, I'm a fan and I'm a, I'm a real fan, but I know so much less than the two of you about so much Star Wars things. And I've the things I learned, I learned so much later or only digging into the surface level. I don't remember the first time I watched this movie. It was apparently hmm. memorable enough to me to even know if it was in my house or in a theater. I'm sure it was with my dad because my dad was a Star Wars fan also. But, you know, I didn't get to watch Star Wars, the first one, until my younger sister was old enough that they thought she could handle it. We watched it together. So I didn't watch it until well after most people would have watched the originals. So um, I do remember watching two and three. So I can say more about those stories a little older. Um, I think I was uh, anyway, more memorable there. So I have no idea what my initial reaction was. I don't remember at all. All I from rewatching. I know this is not the second time I've ever seen it, this rewatch that I just did, because I rewatch movies. I know that I've seen it probably three or four or five times in the course of my life. So those all do blur together. I think some things about the movie that were bad were not apparent to me at first. I didn't mind the idea of Metachlorians. I thought that was interesting when I was 13 and not paying much attention. Then talking it out with other people and hearing their opinions, I to have very strong opinions about that. I don't ever remember not hating the uh, acting and dialogue, but I also was young enough that I might not have realized that that is what was bothering me. Um, Rewatching it, I think it's worse than I remember it, actually, in most ways. There are things I love about it, actually. There are, and we can talk about that, too. But um, I, I will go out, first of all, and say I don't mind the dated CG. It doesn't bother me at all. Not one bit. Um, no. A lot of people are apologists about how, oh, it was good in the day. I'm like, it's it's, it's fine now. It's, it's functional. I notice it. I'll make a joke about it, but a loving joke. You know, The, the fact that it kind of looks like a PS1 cutscene, okay, I'll, I'll tell you that, but I, I don't care. Like, you could have it be a cartoon cutscene if you wanted to. I can suspend disbelief on that, except Yoda is worse than I remembered. I apparently gave this movie more credit because in my head I remembered Yoda looking way better than he actually does in episode one. I had forgotten how terrible his CG was. It's really interesting with the CG. I agree with that. It's interesting with the CG, too, of just how confident they were about it when it came out because so much of the film, I mean, like, you look at, like, Jurassic Park, which is the quintessential example of, like, old CG that holds up. They were so pessimistic about it that they purposely filmed it in a way that would cover up, where everything's in darkness. Everything is filmed in a way that there's not direct light on it, which is a way of highlighting when CG is being placed on a scene. In this, so much of the CG is like, 
open landscape lighting on a green field kind of CG shots, which make it much more apparent that it is CG. Partly because they were just so proud of it because it was so groundbreaking. But like you, I really don't mind it. I mean, it's obvious, it's obvious CG, it's showing his age to a certain degree, but I don't mind old special effects. And particularly this, some, some of it's actually still holds up pretty good. Some of the matte paintings or background shots are actually pretty pretty. But anything else you can say about it, the CG they went for was colorful and unique, even if, like you said, it obviously does look like video game graphics at times, particularly when characters are imposed on a scene that is entirely CG. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, the big knock on the, the episode one, two, three is that they did too much green screen, and that doesn't hold up. It makes it look sort of like, um, kind of like Space Jam, maybe, like, where there's, like, a person dropped into the middle of a cartoon. Wait, 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 wait. are you saying that in a bad way? Because I'll say that in a good way. Cause I mean, I think that's the, that's the knock on it, right? It and, is. like, I think that, uh, the the reality of what that does to the film is it makes it very difficult for the actors, right? So, because nobody's going to say this is a bad cast. You have Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor. Like, it's a good cast of people. The problem is that they are acting against nothing. And George Lucas, while he is great at world building, some of the dialogue scenes are not strong. Like some of the some of the just like want back and forth. And so, like, I give the I give the acting more of a pass than a lot of people just because I mean they're they're acting against like nothing. And I also had moments watching this of thinking, while wow, the acting's not as bad as I remembered. Like I, I think Liam Neeson does as good as you can do with Qui Gon Chen. Um there there are moments where you see like a ton of emotion flood through Obi Wan. Like Ewan McGregor's able to do that against probably acting against very little or nothing. I don't as well established on Mangum Talks Media, I do not shit on kid actors, so the kid who played Anakin, it's fine. No problem. I have no problem with him. Natalie Portman, I would say, just getting her sea legs. Natalie Portman, now a great actress. Getting her sea legs well, in this I, film, I would say. I mean, Natalie Portman's weird. Natalie Portman was a great actress well before this film. You guys ever seen The Professional? Yes. She's like nine, and she's knocking it out of the park oh. with her acting in that film. She, who was the actor in that one? Because we remember her more than him, and he okay. did. Uh, he's a well, uh, John Renault, well-regarded French actor. Oh, he knocked it out of the park, and yet he still was second fiddle on that movie because she did so well. Because she she does better as the series. This year, I'm talking about this series goes True. on. I feel what? like. What? Oh yeah. By the time she gets the episode three, it's good. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. She didn't have a lot to work with there, but what? she does get better as the series goes on, in my opinion. I will agree, and I, I think that in some ways that reflects more on George Lucas, because not knowing going in, this does look like a film of where this guy hasn't directed a film in 22 years. And I think that goes into a certain degree of the acting in terms of the directions that he's giving the characters and whatever else they're saying, of where I don't think he gave, for some of them, I don't think he gave them the right guidance or just was just kind of not as focused on the characters, but more focused on the overall story, reflecting that it's mostly been writing films rather than directing them for the last few decades of his career. And it's, it's weird that you say that, because if you were saying that his skills were in writing, my biggest take, which, fine, you know, I, Ewan McGregor, good acting. Palpatine, good acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good, too. Palpatine was great. I, I got good There's acting. three good actors here. Natalie Portman. I, I'm going to say fine acting, but the thing was, a lot of them, especially Natalie Portman, especially Anakin Skywalker, and a little bit everybody else, the writing and dialogue. It's not was, great. I could have done better than that. Maybe not. No, you couldn't have. I'm, well, no. I'm, 
in the little bit of theater that I've ever done, dialogue is the thing that I'm terrible at. I'm actually bad at it. But I feel like mine wouldn't have been worse. And it probably would have been. But I'm saying the dialogue was so bad. It really was painful. And we can go through. I almost feel like we need worst lines instead of best lines. There were a lot of them. Um, because I, all those good actors I said, even Natalie Portman probably, did the most with what they had. And even the kid actor did the most with a lot of what he had. Just a lot of the lines he said didn't have a whole lot of sense in the context and what was supposed to be going on in their minds. And the dialogue. I don't know that I don't know that I would say it didn't make sense. I mean, I just think it was a lot of it was really basic. It seemed to me like Spencer, I think you're absolutely right. George Lucas had lost some of his fastball at this point. I also think he was the guy who read his own reviews because he really focused on like his, the original Star Wars movies. Like if you go time capsule back, people were flipping out about the special effects mm-hmm. and he thought himself this like special effects whiz. And I don't think there was like it's my personal opinion. Didn't seem to be as much focus on the storytelling and the crafting and the directing and the stuff. Yeah. And there was all this focus on the special effects. And it's just as somebody who read their own reviews and it got better as it went on. I pers- I think episode three is, is pretty good. Uh, it certainly is better than this film. If you just look at like the cut scenes and the dialogue and the acting. So, um, you know, is what it is. But uh, any any other general thoughts about the film before we start talking through exactly what happens? In line with that, I, I, this is something that I had said years ago. Maybe maybe this was back when they were fresh. That when he was making episode one, George Lucas had basically caught lightning in a bottle when he was making a movie he wanted to make with the original Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And wasn't doing that here. He was trying to reproduce what he thought was important about Star Wars. What you know, his idea of what he had done rather than actually making more of the same of what he had done. Reading the reviews is a great way to describe it, but he really, you know, look, he, he, he had forgotten the face of his father here. He had gotten away from what was important and what actually made Star Wars wonderful. Um, and I'm going to show my bias. I think that in the sequels, they tried really hard to just not make that mistake. Maybe they made new mistakes. But they tried to figure out what is interesting about Star Wars, the interpersonal things, when it gets a little bit more small, when it's about the people and the world building just is happening in the background. Um, I think I think that's a great call. I think there's certain aspects of this where it almost seems like he's remembering, remembering or remembering other people's common view of Star Wars rather than necessarily having the same unique spark that once before. I think it's even reflective in some of the characterizations of certain characters that are carryovers from it. Yoda in particular, we'll talk about. I think in some ways he's remembering the meme more than he's remembering the original character, particularly in the dialogue. And I think that's in some ways reflected what we say. But I, I think I, let's actually go into some story beats here. Kind of, I'm kind of curious where everybody's thoughts are. Sure. Um, I, this is really broad strokes. And if I miss anything up, let me know. I'm just doing it off memory. So we kind of start with this. Um, the whole premise of the start of the movie is there is a uh, a blockade around Naboo that the mm-hmm. Trade Federation is doing. And it kind of seems to come out of nowhere. Like the Trade Federation, which is a very powerful organization, appears to be like a commercial organization that has a number of planets that it controls, is doing this blockade of Naboo. Naboo looks like Earth, a beautiful Earth. Looks like Argentina, just a planet of Argentina. Mm. And and we learn that Naboo has a queen. However, that is a misleading term. It is an elected position, and they have a senator, as every planet does. Senator, uh, really nice guy, 
named Palpatine. I don't know if anybody heard of this guy. Is really, really good up-and-comer. Good dude. Good dude. So we learn right off the jump, for people who are in the know with the Star Wars universe, who've watched the movies closely or read the books, that Palpatine's from Naboo. And he that's kind of where he got his political start. Go ahead, Spencer. The idea of an elected bark is kind of fun, too, because it's totally in keeping with certain societies and certain proposals. Like, you know, your dude, Hamilton, he wanted he wanted the president to be an elected monarch that would serve for life. It was a seriously considered option for the future of our country. So idea idea of an elect, of, of, of elected dictator, not that uncommon. Perfect. Who's okay. dude? Who's dude? Hamilton. Yours. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> I like the I like the I like the play, but Hamilton himself, Whew, bit, of a, bit of a loose cannon um, in many ways. Uh, <laughs> the, really, this watching like the first fifteen minutes of this film before they go down to the planet, I kind yeah. of forgot how much I liked it. It's like I liked I think I liked it better this time than I did when I originally saw it. Of where, huh? This is actually kind of well done. There's a certain degree of tension. The Trade Federation dudes are weird in terms of whatever acting or direction that they were given or what style yeah, of speaking they have. But yeah, this initial part is focused around Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, who are the two most effective, well-realized, or well-acted characters in the film in terms of them interacting with things. So that really sold it kind of well. And also the certain degree of mystery of what's happening. Why are they doing this? Why is this going on? First 15 minutes going into this in the rewatch, I was like, I'm going to like this a lot more than I thought I would. Let me let me jump just a couple beats in, the, and then I'll jump to you, Jimmy. Uh, so so what we learn is that Qui Gon and, and Obi Wan are sent to try to mediate some peace here, right? Because this is a mm-hmm. point in the Republic when the Jedi uh, work with the Republic to keep the peace of the universe. And when something like this happens, it's not uncommon for them to dispatch some Jedi to go and to negotiate a settlement. And that is kind of what Qui Gon and Obi Wan are there for. I'm not sure uh, that Qui Gon really expects much of. It expects fighting. He expects this to be a diplomatic mission to try to clear up a trade dispute. Him and Obi-Wan arrive on planet, or I think they arrive uh, to, the, the to the Trade Federation ship, and uh, they're put in this room, and then all of a sudden, you know, all hell breaks loose. It's like they're they're gassed. And, and one cool thing that Obi-Wan or Qui-Gon does is jams the lightsaber into the metal door and lets it just sit and melt. Pretty cool thing that we see later on, uh, Reva does in the Qui- Obi-Wan series. And then they start this, like, sort of escape, uh, action sequence. And that's where we went. Um, being older, I caught some of the references that were being made both to the prior Star Wars films and also being made to other classic sci-fi films in these initial couple scenes you described. I mean, we get a lot of Star Wars, we get a lot of original trilogy quotes early on. We get close the blast doors. We've got, I've got a bad feeling about this. Which I yeah. think he purposely wrote those in early. He's like, uh, all the Star Wars fans could do, do a little cheer in the audience while they're watching this. You know, homage is the original. But that melting door thing, I did not realize when I watched it of where, you guys ever seen the film Forbidden Planet from like 1956 or whatever else? No. I've heard of it actually. I might actually have the DVD somewhere of it or something. It, classic work of science fiction. Every single science fiction director, including George Lucas, said directly inspired by that film. Everything they made is like, that was my inspiration. The scene of Qui-Gon melting the door is so straight out of a scene from that film. I amazed even at that age, I didn't catch it of where the door melting, even the shape of the door is an homage to the, the scene from Ridden Planet. So kudos, George Lucas, you're citing your inspiration. Very cool. Jamie, you had something? Uh, I was going to say, I, I also kind of like this better as an adult than I did when I was a teenager. It makes me wonder if they knew who their audience was or something because 
if you try to describe it as, well, there's a trade dispute and their negotiations have gone poorly and there's a blockade, but the negotiator is going to go try to convince them to lower their blockade, which is probably illegal in the Senate, but it might be legal in the Senate. But you've lost like half your audience already. Uh, I'm more interested now. And maybe it's just because I'm 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 a geek about, you know, trade disputes now. (laughs) That was a. That was a bold choice, Cotton, and I don't know that it paid off. Well, it didn't help that they couldn't keep to a consistent feel. If they did this kind of plot, it's like, oh, they're star- they're addressing the fact that the Star Wars fans that watched it are now in their 30s and 40s. This is the plot for them. This is an episode of West Wing set in the Star Wars universe. Fine, commit to that. Let's see how it goes. But then we get down to the planet, and the intended age demographic plummets immediately. Yeah, they get down to the planet and then they're, uh, Qui-Gon, uh, is, I guess, running from some, some machinery and he, he runs into, um, Jar Jar uh, Binks and they fall down and then he gets up and then Jar Jar takes him to the Gungans, which are in under, underwater. And a lot are, you know, a lot of negative is said about the Gungans and, and Jar Jar. I get it. I don't like Jar Jar either. There's some scenes that are just like, my God, I just wish they'd edit it out. Like the one later on in the film where he's got the blaster on his foot and he's hopping around and shooting. Like that can go. But I have always liked in these world building things it's where you're going from like either continent to continent, culture to culture, planet to planet, whatever. When the locals who are not part of the geopolitical order at all stand up and say, all right, I'm going to fight for my planet, my country, my whatever. I don't know. It's always appealed to me. Maybe it's the American in me or whatever. So when the Gungans decide to fight with the Naboo and they, they line up and it's like, let's go, that did something for me. And in the same way that it did with the Ewoks, even though I don't like the Ewoks, they're teddy bears. I wish they didn't do it. Same way it did when the Wookiees fought. Um, anytime those like local folks stand up and say, you know what, this, this empire, this whatever, this trade federation isn't right. I'm going to fight back and I'm going to join our, our faces of the company. I'm going to join our heroes and do this. I don't know. It, it always works for me. This is again, this is, I think is an early example we get of remembering, remembering of where Lucas thought back about the trio, the original trilogy and went, well, they're funny. You know, they've got silly stuff in them. So it's okay to do silly characters. The problem of doing a character this silly in the form of really the Gungan people in general, the Gungan people are ridiculously silly was that you know you can't take them seriously, and therefore you can't take the world that tolerates them seriously. And it's just on full display with this character. For me, he's utterly intolerable. There are worse characters in this in this series, and there are worse characters in the trilogy, and then in the prequels. But he's an early example of, this is a film that isn't going to take itself seriously, so why should I? My brother had a good point about this. My brother's a big Star Wars fan. And I talked to him about Jar Jar, and he said, well, you know, Jar Jar didn't work, obviously, and nobody's going to argue that Jar Jar worked. But his point was there was always some bit of comic relief in Star Wars. And it, it, in the original 4, 5, and 6, oftentimes it was Han Solo who would say something funny. And mm-hmm. Harrison Ford acted that well. And what he thought Jar Jar was was an attempt at levity, at breaking the pace of adding a comedic element that really worked in 4, 5, and 6. Why? Because you have one of the greatest actors of our time, Harrison Ford, doing that. And, and it didn't work. Characters. It didn't work. N- nobody's saying it worked. But I think that was the intent. And there was always an effort in these movies and now subsequently in these shows to inject a, just a touch of humor here and there. And it, it, that's kind of what it was. You bring a really good point because uh, – 
Do you remember that Jar Jar stepped in poop? Because Jar Jar stepped in poop. And that was I, I'm not saying it worked. I'm, I'm, no, you're not. But, but, but I'm now imagining, like, Han Solo stepping in poop as they're, like, actually adventuring somewhere. And, no, that actually would have been fine. That would have been Harrison Ford cool. probably could have made that work. Yeah, but he would have made, yeah, yeah Harrison Yeah, he was in the swamp. He steps in something. He looks down. He groans. And then he keeps going. Like, that would have been a fine beat in a scene for him. Well, so I mean, that, that's interesting. I mean, it's an example of, like, let's do New Hope. There's a scene of when uh, Han Solo is just chasing a whole mess of stormtroopers around a corner, realizes that they've all just suddenly stopped and now turned on him, and just screams and runs away. And that's a scene. That's that, that's a comic scene. That's a silly scene in some ways. Right. But it's a character that, it's a great scene. It's a, but it's a character that's balanced. It's a character that ha- isn't just silly. He isn't just comic relief. Closest we got to a character that was just straight up comic relief, other than very bit characters in the original trilogy, were the Ewoks, who were practically the most, you know, contentious element of the original trilogy. But even they had drama, they had tension, they had loss, they had a cause. That we are representative of that in terms of work was able to give us an emotional range that Jar Jar just, they never tried with. Jar Jar was always going to be silly. He was always going to be something out of Looney Tunes, because that's what they wrote him to be. Oh, no, no, no. See, you missed some. There's a lot of heartbreak going on with him. Didn't you hear when his friend, he said he's in Big Misa Dudu? The the Jamaican pantomime does not help. The Jamaican pantomime does not help. Uh, Well, here's the problem. When his leader looked at him and said the biggest insult he could... Oh, it broke my heart, man. Is that Brian? Is that Brian Blessed doing that? Is is Brian Blessed Boston ass? So the the blue 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 thing like that that to me is fine because I mean different species are going to have different ticks and stuff like that's okay. I I think the thing that bugs me is not not bugs me what I I see it bugs other people Mm -hmm. is that they obviously they're I think the people are saying like the people creating this are like. Well, obviously, if they're speaking some sort of common language, they have to for us to even understand it, right? But, like, there's going to be different accents. And in picking different accents, they pick some that actually resonate with us on Earth that we have heard before. And that's tough. And that's one of the things I really liked that, like, uh, Game of Thrones did is that they different characters had different accents, but they didn't really remind us of, like, oh, that's, like, a straight-from-India accent. Like, so there's a way to – there's a way to do it better that like everything about the Jar Jar character, I agree, failed. But I think I see what they were trying to do, which was a little bit of comedy element and somebody, a, a plot driver, right? He does drive the plot, Jar Jar, for better or worse. I mean, he's the son bitch that actually gets on the Senate floor and goes, I think we should just make this guy emperor. Like he's, you know, but, so he but, drives but, it. But in, in some ways, I think that's in response to his negative perception in this film. Because in this film, Jar Jar does shit. Jar Jar's just around. Every, Jar Jar could have completely omitted from No, that's film. not true. I mean, he, he, he does, what? he, he connects them to the Gungans and he, he tells them about the, like, he, the Gungans he were important. doesn't need to, they though. Could have bumped into the Gungans accidentally and it would have worked just fine. Of, Underwater? Of the river. Oh, look, there's a city down there. That would have fit just as well. It is glowing. It's glowing. Uh, I noticed it. Um, so, do, do you want to keep on this topic or do you want me to redirect us to the other thing? I mean, if you, I mean, if you have more Jar Jar jokes, I mean, that's fine. But I mean, I, I, I think we all agree that he sucks. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he, I mean, I'm, a, I look, I, I get it. He sucks. I got it. I, I, I agree. So, no so, well, I'm, I'm going to go to one thing you said about you know accents, 
I'm just sure. The Trade Federation. Is that, am I weird that that seems like a really bad racial stereotype with them, with their accent and their dress and them being the weird, greedy villains? Who who you going for in terms of them stereotyping? He's if, Asian? You have to ask that, then I must be wrong and making it up. I, I was, I was, I'm the bad guy. I, I, I was having a oh. distinct East Asian kind of feel in terms of Chinese, probably. It sounded East Asian in the accent, but I don't, I don't know about like the being greedy thing. I mean, like, I don't know that that's a fair, I mean, like, they, that's the trade federation are, it, they suck. It, I mean, it, I don't know. Every, every racist stereotype has a greediness involved in it because people are Wait, trying. If, if, it's if kind of, that's kind of rough. Yeah. If we're, if we're going to discuss greed and a certain other character of racial stereotypes, we're going to get to him in a minute. Um, okay, so then uh, they uh, they get leave the the Gungan underwater oh, wait, world. I, I have one other thing I wanted to ask: Do you love, hate, think it's normal that they just had water breathers in their pockets? They only have like one pocket in their dress, and they used it for a water breather when they were on a space mission. I I had a conversation with my wife about this, where she's like. That's a really useful thing. Look, they use it in another movie also. If I had a water breather, I always carry it in my purse. I was like, yeah, but your purse carries more than one item, and you live near water. They were in space. There's no water in space, and they have one pocket. No, they have a utility belt. They they do have a utility belt. How Uh, many pockets do their rope belt have? They're not Batman. I I live in South Florida, so a rebreather would never leave my hip at all times. There is water everywhere. Uh, I, I almost I almost assumed when I first watched the film because it almost just seemed like a, 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 a general object they pulled out that it was like the Jedi equivalent of a Swiss Army knife, where it's got like a setting that is rebreather, but it also will open your can of tuna. <laughs> Not bad. I okay. take that. Yeah. I, I was, I'm um, wondering it, how many things they can carry in their pockets that that gets to be one when they don't seem to have much in the way of pockets. Well, I mean, I think that like a lot of the planets that they go to are water planets. I mean, like um, the, the clone planet is a water planet. So, you know, if they're going on a diplomatic mission, it might not be uncommon to carry things that would prepare you for different atmospheres and climates. I don't know. They didn't bring heavy coats and they were in space. What? It has no water. But you have water. no idea if they brought heavy coats. They could have put them on the spaceship. What? Okay, okay, where, what did they stick their heavy coat up, sir, when they were wearing their robes? Where were they? No, I'm saying it could be on the spaceship. I'm saying, like, they, they gave, they did bring a ship. Like, they had a ship. (laughs) So, they had quarters, they had luggage. There's some things there, yeah. But the thing was that they left all their other stuff on the ship. They went into negotiations down the hall with a water breathing magic device in their pocket because they thought in their down the hall negotiations, they might just need to take a swim. Again, just accept my head canon that it's a multi-tool. Does many other things that we just don't see. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I that seems like I feel like there's so much wrong with this that, that this film that you could point out. Like that seems a weird one to focus on. But um, I mean, sure. Yeah. Okay. Then it's it's too convenient uh, that that they have the rebreather. I I, 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 want, I want to see them have a a, a you know a what a, a bag of holding uh, a hand haversack <laughs> like a, a coat of many pockets. I, mm-hmm. I want something like that now. I do have the utility belt, but anyway. Um, all right, so then they uh, escaping, um, chased by a fish. Fish what? get eaten by another fish. What? Obi-Wan has the, or Qui-Gon has the great line, always the bigger fish. I love that line. Go ahead, Spencer, what I miss? Now, one thing I just want to give you Jimmy credit for that we talked about previously is that did not catch at all when I originally watched this film or even on prior partial clip viewings, Qui-Gon is mind-controlling everybody. 
throughout this film. And it starts on the Gungan on the Gungan base of where I totally didn't catch as a kid that that guy is doing the Jedi mind trick almost every other thing he's telling to Boss Nass. Mm-hmm. The only reason he gets a water vehicle is because he just mind controlled the guy and said, you know, you, you should let, you should help us out. Vehicle would be nice. Tries that shit on Watto, and Watto's like, what is your deal? How about you, you stop repeating yourself? Sir, and you do not want to talk about that, because that is not the highlight you might think it is. Anyway, yes, I, I agree. When I saw this the first or did, third time. I, 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 I'm not going to be shocked if you don't like that scene, Jamie. I'm just going to throw that out there. You're not going to surprise me if you don't like the Watto scene. Look, I'm assuming you've got highlights. If you just keep being uh, apologist for every single scene, I'm going to question whether you actually like it or not. But I'm not. I, how, I sat here and told you how much that – Jar Jar sucks. Okay, well, I yeah, agree with you. I'm, I'm not willing to go down the rabbit hole of shitting on the rebreather, but yeah, I agree with you. Jar Jar sucks. The writing's bad. Too much green screen. You've gotten a lot of concessions from me early on. Well, and that is the weird thing. I don't mind the green screen one bit. That, that's what I want to say early is just get out of the way. With with the exception of Yoda, hmm. every single sci-fi, every single CG, the good, the bad, the fire away, the part that looks cheesy now, I accept all of it. It was all pretty darn good at the time. And you can do things with CG that you can't do otherwise, and it looks fine. Like, I, yeah, I, I think we're – yeah, I, I – so thank you for that. But I do think we're talking past each other when I say too much green screen. What I meant by that is that oh. it created all these other negative effects in the film, like the acting bad acting and, and the, the contrast between real and fa- – like I, there there was other – I agree with you. I, I, if special effects don't hold up over time, that doesn't make kill a movie for me, but – I think even in the moment, I think you could like what what George Lucas really needed was a lieutenant to say, hey, boss, how about you let them act like somewhere where they know what the fuck's going on? Like maybe that could help the acting. You might be right, because I I chalked all that up to bad writing of dialogue. It might be that the dialogue. the, The actors weren't able to do as good with the dialogue as they would have if they were actually looking at a person or a puppet or something like that. I little have, column A, little column B, right? I have an example there. Um, the actor who plays Chancellor of Lorm, Terrence Stamp, who's a great actor in a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, I like him, yeah. He talked about, you know, that I felt that Lucas had forgotten how to direct actors. When I first arrived on scene, I was excited to work with Natalie Portman. Like, first time working with her, very excited about her work. And I arrived on scene, I asked, where's Miss Portman? And Lucas pointed at a little piece of paper that was taped to the wall and said, that's her today. And that was what we acted with with her. And that's bad. That's a good. That's a good example, Spencer. That's bad. That's not good. Yeah. No, it it, 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 it doesn't reassure you about it. this. Is a guy who knows how to get to bring out the best in your actors. That's her. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. But, but I just wish I knew that one. The thing Spencer was saying, which yeah, we we had talked about this a little bit between you know the last time we recorded and now. When I first watched it, I thought that well, you know, the Gungans want to get them on their way. They're Jedi's. People are respectful-ish of Jedi's, even if they, you know, don't talk don't like them much fine we will help you a little bit we'll give you a ship to get out of the way yes please leave okay yes you're right he owes your life debt get just get out of here get a, get get him out of my hair two birds one stone it all made sense then i see his hands just waving ever so slightly every time he talks mm-hmm. and that the head of the gungans is repeating a lot closer to word for word than i thought the things he's saying it's like you should speed us on our way i'm going to speed you on your way it's Oh my goodness! <laughs> it, it, uh, it, look, look. Mental autonomy is not high on his value list. He's not that kind of Jedi. Is all we're saying. That's one thing I really just didn't. I didn't remember how much Qui Gon is like. You know, the dirty Harry of the Jedi Order in terms of yeah. how much the guy is really playing is. fast and loose with the rules 
all the time. Yeah, and, and if you, I mean, just in like Clone Wars, some of the Legends stuff, and even some of the new canon books, it's clear that Qui-Gon is much more willing to like do what you guys are talking about, the, the, the Jedi like brain thing, like the, mm-hmm. the mind control, than Yoda is willing to do. Yoda does a lot of like, I'm going to try to convince you. Like, yeah. Yoda could be walking through life telling everybody to open the door for him, but he does a lot more like trying to convince you because of the ethical component of it. And I think that's something that's pretty consistent in the portrayal of Qui-Gon through this film mm-hmm. is he is like, there's, there's some, the moment where Obi-Wan says to him like, Hey man, like you could be on the fucking council if you would stop this shit. And Qui-Gon just kind of scoffs and is like, you got a lot to learn. Like Qui-Gon is not. Uh, he does not necessarily uh, walk on the same uh, beat with the Jedi. And it becomes apparent later on. I know I'm jumping around with the plot, but sure. it, it, it comes apparent later on after Qui-Gon's death when Obi-Wan is talking to Yoda. And Obi-Wan's like, you know, but Qui-Gon said. And Yoda's like, not really a reason that I'm good. Like, he, he, he's totally like. Because Qui-Gon said does not carry a lot of weight with Yoda. You're not selling me on this point right now. Yeah. I kind of like that characterization as essentially our main character of the show because it's a very different look on the Jedi than we've been previously led to believe. Where he's not, yeah. he's, he's not a bad guy, but he's no. willing to be unethical or at least dallying with unethical things in a way that you almost wouldn't expect when Obi-Wan and Luke have been our prior guides into the Force effectively. But- Look, we, we, we're taught that like the Jedi Order are always lawful good. This guy's very neutral. Chaotic. Like that, that's, he's, he's right there on the neutral good, neutral, neutral line, basically, I think. Well, that's kind of one of the cool things that the prequels do is that they do give us some Jedi characters that in, that inject that these are humans too that have competing ideas of how the Jedi Order should be run. They have their own faults, et cetera. Like, for instance, Mace Windu as a character. Mace Windu, one of the reasons he is, he has a purple lightsaber for this reason, one of the reasons he's such a great fighter is that he actually taps into the dark side a little bit when he fights, which is not something that, like, Yoda would train you to do. But that's what he does. And, like, Qui-Gon, a little bit more of a gray Jedi than you than you might think. I, I, he's not a gray Jedi, but he's on that spectrum, right? So some interesting Jedi characters that aren't just, like, the priestly, you know, like never done anything wrong, Sir Alec Guinness. So, a, a, a quick aside into teach me and the listeners. No, I, I know this already, of course. So, just for the listeners who are dumb, but tell me more about the 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 Samuel L. Jackson thing that he taps in the dark side. I had heard once that he was trained in something that learns about the dark side, but it seems like defensive dark arts, where you learn about it so that you cannot do it. He actually is a he is literally a gray Jedi. He's not really a great Jedi. So he is, he is a, he has chosen the light and he sits on the council. But one of his fighting styles, he can, he can use the fighting style of the Sith. And in doing so, taps into anger and aggression to use the fighting style. So it's kind of like, um, he's t- uh, dancing like on the, the line. That he's like a, he's like a, he's like a, he's like a really, really good nation that also has nukes. I don't know. I've <laughs> ever heard of that. So kind of like that idea where he 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 has the bad weapon, but he has chosen the path. Now, in some of the the back lore on Mace Windu, if I, if I have this right, there was a period where he had a choice. He could have gone light or dark. He chose the light, but he has learned enough of the dark to fight that way. And that's why he's considered one of the best fighters. And when it became revealed, oh, this Palpatine, Palpatine guy is actually the Sith Master, who do they send? First person. Mace, go, go take his ass out. Because they thought... 
Mace Windu was their best fighter. And he actually did, at least the scene, beat Palpatine exactly. Yeah. It, 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 all, it also... It also is a very controversial moment for the fandom, but also within the Jedi Order, arguably, it's the fact they sent an assassin. And the fact that it's Mace Windu doing it, he'd probably be the most okay with it among the various Order, because otherwise it's very much not in keeping with Jedi principles. This is and the one last thing on the, on and they sent him to arrest, not to assassinate, and it's a different movie. And I think he sent himself, but different movie. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, they, they, the Jedi did send him. Uh, that, that, the, or the Jedi Council did send him. But um, I, the, the arrest versus assassinate, I think you do have a point on that. Um, so, but George Lucas always knew that about the Mace Windu character, and that it is in part why he cast Samuel L. Jackson because he knew there would be an edge to how Samuel L. Jackson acted the part that Mace Windu needed. So, anyway, whole rabbit hole. But the point being is that some of the Jedi that we see in this film um, break the mold from what I think we saw in four, five, and six, which to me was really cool. And get, getting getting ahead in this movie, but I just I'll say it now. I loved the scene you mentioned where. Um, Yoda is saying, I don't want to train him, even though he's, even though your master's died and everything. What he says is, I don't think he should be trained. The council has decided he will be trained. Yeah. Yoda got outvoted. <laughs> he got outvoted, yeah. Yoda got outvoted. And I yeah. loved that because you, in the same way, and we talked about this, uh, the last, uh, on, on Obi-Wan, that the audience thinks that Darth Vader's the number two in the Empire and everyone else in the Empire bows down to him, and that's not the case. I would have thought that whatever Yoda says wins, because mm-hmm. he's the wisest. So if he says it, how would anyone doubt his wisdom? But he's like, I'm only one little frog man. Like, we'll vote here because maybe you're right that we should let the universe go to darkness because that's way better than the Jedi and the light controlling things. So he's not a frog man. They eat frogs as maybe Windu, maybe Yoda should. Cannibalism. But the, but the, the novelization of episode one does give more of a backstory to some of the stuff than the actual movie. And in that we learn that Yoda was the only no vote for uh, Obi-Wan to train Anakin. So every single other person on the council voted yes, except Yoda. Go ahead, Spencer. Just two things before we move on. In reference to the scene you guys talked about, I like the parallel framing of we have a new chancellor, and it's directly, and he even straight up says it's because of that people were sympathetic for our cause. Yes. To, we also have a new addition to the Jedi Order that we know is going to be a problem, and it's because Qui-Gon died and people were sympathetic to the cause. I like that effectively the two things that destabilize the mm. Republic are directly driven in parallel based on moments of sympathy for essentially a fall or a tragedy and people in some ways hyper inappropriately responding to them. So I actually kind of like that parallel storytelling in those two characters. Sympathy for the dead is a bad thing. Bold stance to take Spencer and George Lucas. I actually think that Jamie made a good point though, about this, the story of episode one, two, three, which is that I've always thought the story itself was really, really good, but I don't think that it was, told that well and I hadn't really thought about it through the lens of like maybe it's too complicated of a story like so basically what a lot going on yeah basically what happens in this film is that Palpatine the senator from Naboo Mm -hmm. working working on the back end with the trade federation creates an embargo to create a, a political situation that would create sympathy for the Naboo people which would give him the ability to rise up through the ranks and take control of the galactic senate on Coruscant that's a lot of shit to convey in a fucking narrative. So that's actually a good point, Jamie. It might be like just a little too complicated. And, and, and let me let me ask really quickly, and, and again, jumping around. Um, there's something I've heard called a Xanados Gambit, where or a Batman, <laughs> where 
I've set up a situation, but I'm so smart that if I win, I win, and if I lose, I still win. Things didn't happen the way the Palpatine Emperor wanted them to happen, and yet he still got what he wanted. He still won. What? So, so, but but he seemed to really care and want his other outcome to happen. What would have been better for him? But in I that think, other way? I think he in some I, I mean, his plan seems to be the Queen will be kidnapped and the Queen will be forced to sign a treaty. That seems to be at least what he's telling the Trade Federation. It seems like what he wanted, because there's no way he could have known that she'd escape. No. So I think in some ways he expected her to die. I think he expected, like, the leadership to fall and that to generate the sympathy moment and to run on that. Okay. The idea of her getting to the Senate and then allowing him to, you know, overturn the Chancellor, that was, I think, that was playing speed chess. So you're 100% right. Uh, one second, Jimmy. He's 100% right because also he tries to kill her in episode two as well. Like, he does not want Amidala around because he knows that she's uncorrupt. She, he can't corrupt her. And so he, she's never read in to his plans. He always keeps her at arm's length and he tries to kill her on multiple occasions. And so I think Spencer's 100% right that, that the, if everything had gone according to plan, she would have died and that sympathy would have generated his ability to move up. And he would have had the, the, the side effect of, I don't have to deal with this woman anymore who is just in my face about everything. So the downside of, of the good guys winning was really that instead of him being in control of the situation, he had to work with others. Well, he had improv, but also there was a, there was a chance. Like all these things, us, uh, the good guys winning gave a chance that maybe Palpatine wouldn't come to power. He did anyway. The dice went Palpatine's way over and over. As they tend to do. I expect what he wanted to set up was a situation that was so tragic and such shit that he could basically make a motion to say the chancellor allowed this to happen. My queen is dead. My planet is burning. Look what is allowed to occur on his watch. I do a vote of no confidence. That's what he wanted because he's the only one in control of that conversation. Instead, he had to have other people involved in it. Yep. 100% right, I think. But it... If he can do things, he, he seems to love to do things secondhand, where he's the one talking to the person. The Sith. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, he, he, he doesn't want to do things himself. He can help it. But he also doesn't I, – I don't think he would prefer to be six people removed like this. He'd rather be talking to the person who's doing the thing. And this made him be a full one or two people removed, which created more um, chance, more uncertainty, what? so that he didn't know at every point he was going to win. Every step of the game, his move is, I need fewer players on the board. Every step of the game is, the Jedi are there, kill them. The Queen's there, kill her. Oh, this guy's the governor, dead. He you continually wants people, fewer All people he can't control. Yes. He, he continually I, wants there to be fewer point. pieces that are outside of his control. That is, I was about to say, he, he literally created a whole race of clones. So he did want more people. But, you know, that's... that's also, I, so, He can control them literally, and I'm getting ahead of ourselves. That's not this movie. Well, then we get so. Well, last thing I'm just going to say, just credit George Lucas. I like with the subtlety of the Qui Gon little hand gestures that it's a trusting your audience kind of moment of where he doesn't have to ex- explicitly say it out. He says a few of the Gungans like Jar Jar kind of like cock their heads confused that Boss Nass is just going along with this and all the way. I like that this is a moment of he's just like the audience knows how force powers work. I've showed them before. They're all fans, and also your characters are acknowledging in scene that this is weird, and that's all that's said about it. Subtle, st- an element of subtle storytelling that I do enjoy. So they crash land on Tatooine, uh, or not crash land, but they they have to to land on Tatooine, and they need some ship, uh, 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 some parts to repair the hyperdrive, I believe, and so they 
are walking around. Now, one of the things that happens during all of this is that there's a little whoop whoop switcheroo with the queen. The queen, uh, now the real queen is pretending to be her bodyguard, Padme, and the fake queen is now all dressed up in garb as the queen. And that, that kind of runs through the movie and it all culminates in the big scene with the Gungans where Natalie Portman as Padme steps forward and goes, I am a Spartacus. And she sits down on one knee or two knees actually and says, please, please help me. And the Gungans do a scene that worked for me, but not a lot of people. But anyway, that's another thing that's going on during all of this. They land on Tatooine during the course of this. They meet Anakin Skywalker. That's right. Uh, young Anakin Skywalker played by Jake Lloyd. I, I mean, I guess I can't control you guys, but I'd prefer if we not shit on Jake Lloyd. He had a pretty rough life as a result of being cast in this movie. Um, so, uh, shout out Jake Lloyd if you're listening. And he, Anakin Skywalker, kind of gives them the ropes to Tatooine and is like, hey, uh, my guy Watto here, he's, uh, he's probably the one that will have this, uh, thing you need. And oh, by the way, there's a big sandstorm coming. You probably don't want to go back to your ship. He is like abundantly helpful to these people. And I feel like Anakin is helpful before he knows they're Jedi. It's just his nature. Yeah. And, and it, get, it created more like I, I'm so used to the Anakin way down the road now, you know, like either Darth Vader or the, the like immediately pre Darth Vader, Anakin, that I forgot that there was this little kid who was like running around the streets of Tatooine like, yeah, please, can I help you? Let me help you. I don't know. Just created a little sympathy in me. And I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead to this, the scene where um, they eventually it all culminates to Anakin telling them, hey, I've created this pod racer and I'll race it in this upcoming race. Maybe you can let leverage that to get what you want, and Qui-Gon negotiates that out with Watto. Basically, the deal is, I put up the pod racer, which he pretends he has, but Anakin built, and says, if you let me, if they let the boy race it, uh, we'll bet for the parts against my ship. So you got, that, that does seem like a fair bet. Parts against a ship, and then also um, pod, which I, quote, own as Qui-Gon against the boy, um, his freedom. And so that ends up being the stakes as we go into the pod race, Spencer. Uh, well, just, just to address some of your points in order, I think the biggest flaw they made with respect to Anakin Skywalker character is he's just too young. I mean, the ideal age for this character is Luke or just a little bit younger. And that should have been what they really aimed for because they can just do more with that. When you have a, when you, when you, when you bring in a character that is how old was Jake Lord at the time? 10 younger. Yeah, he was about 10. Yeah. You're limiting your a. There's only so much of a range the actor's going to offer. You're, not everybody can be young Leia. Spencer hates shot actors. It's consistent. Uh, I mean, it, again, young Leia is the exception to the rule. Most of the time, you're only going to get so far as the range there. So that's always going to be a problem. You're also going to get a, a suspension of disbelief in terms of what that character can do. Anakin does a lot in this story. Well, that would, it would be remarkably yeah. impressive. They hand wave it that he's a, a virgins, which I forgot that was the word they used in the force. Um, but. Oh, between, yeah. I forgot that they actually used the word that sounds like virgin when they're talking about virgin birth and the basic thing. He's the force of Jesus. I forgot that they named it something that sounds like virgin. That's, I mean, I've never heard the alternative of divergence. I suppose it is actually a word. I'd never heard it before this film, but it's a term they use. But I, I think that's the whole they kind of trap themselves in of where. They should have aged up the character. I wouldn't have also put him on Tatooine. I would have completely removed us from Tatooine. 
I actually would have preferred an uh, alternative story I've heard before that I like is the idea that he's a street kid on Coruscant, which I think they could have had so much fun going in that direction and exploring a different world rather than this is kind of the moment of when now every story has to take place on Tatooine because this one did it to, to harken back the original trilogy. So I would have liked the story been completely divorced from Tatooine. I would have liked the age of the character, and I think they could have fixed a lot of those problems. Um, but well, also, also, if you age him up, People are less creeped out by the resulting romance of Anakin and Padme, which actually isn't really that creepy when you think about the the actual age difference between the characters. But it is creepy to our eyes because we just watched him as ten interact with her that seemed like she was a teenager. So yeah, how old was Natalie Portman at the time? I don't know about Natalie Portman, but the the characters themselves are nine years apart. She was 18. Oh, that's so she, more than I thought. I thought the characters were only like four years apart or something weird like that. But um, And that she just looked older to our brains who have seen her be an adult. They actually were nine years apart. So it was, it was a 10-year-old and a 19-year-old. That's what it was. They effectively used the actual age of the actors in terms of the age difference. Well, um, not, I mean, nine years is not a weird amount of time what, for two consenting is, adults. That is not. It, we it, all know it's people. It's not weird in that. 10 years. It's not weird in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Now it, it's puppy love. That's like, what they want to frame it as. So, so I mean, a 20-year-old and a 29-year-old depends who you ask if that's, like, totally, totally normal or a little bit suspect. So I'm just saying it's, it, it's you know, a 50-year-old and a 60-year-old is fine. A 10-year-old and 20-year-old, that's a crime for a reason, my man. Just, Just saying. Well, nobody's saying it's like a ro- – they didn't even do a romance in this now. That, he, nobody's saying that. But nine years apart – and then nine years apart her. between consenting adults is not considered weird by most people in our society, I would say. Um, if you think it's weird, Jimmy, then uh, – then, then, I mean, I don't know. I want to, I want to know your friend group and, and know if you know anybody uh, who are a little bit older uh, than each other and if you, you cast shade at them. Spencer? Well, relatives who are 15 years apart, but they're not 10. <laughs> I mean, in, in reference to some things we talked about before, we also get to see Qui-Gon. This is a further example of Qui-Gon just playing fast and loose as he's going through this, of where, hell, he doesn't even own the pot. He didn't discuss this with Anakin at all, but he's straight up offering it up because Qui-Gon's got a plan and Qui-Gon's going to make this work. He's also risking everything for everyone without consulting with the... He, here's a question. Does Qui-Gon totally know that Padme's the queen? Yeah, absolutely. Because when she says the queen would hoax her at some point. Yeah, she, the, she says the queen wouldn't approve. And he says, well, the queen's not here. And then he cocks his head at her like, huh, gotcha. Uh, I want to go back to something. Spencer, you said you gave credit to George Lucas for giving credit to the audience with the hand waving of Qui-Gon. I think the thing with Anakin and Padme is him also continuing to give the audience credit and saying, I'm not having a 10 year old and a 19 year old do anything romantic in this film. They didn't. By the time they do anything romantic, they are both adults. However, the audience isn't smart enough to make that divergence, as just represented by our co-host here, JV, who keeps saying, yeah, but he's 10. Yeah, but he's 10. But he's not 10 when the romance happens. But in your mind, he's 10 because I saw him as 10. And so that's what I think the audience continues to do with it. And it actually happened in Game of Thrones, right? Because when you had Arya eventually hook up, with, with somebody, people were like, are you kidding me? Like, we saw Arya as a young girl. And so I just don't think that it's I, – I think it's him continuing to try to give the audience credit. And it's the audience being like, no, no, uh, I, I don't care what I'm seeing in episode two or three. I saw this character as 10 years old. Jamie. You're so beautiful. Are you an angel? I've loved you since the first time I saw you on Tatooine and have never stopped thinking about you since then. Let's get married and have babies now. 
the romance was happening as much as a 10-year-old possibly can. And she's what? like, ha, 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 that's cute, ha, 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 that's cute, ha. Oh, my, you've aged nicely. Creepy and unnecessarily creepy. Like, why? Why couldn't you have just had the age a little less or the romance a little, even a little less than it did? And you're right. It is just puppy love on one sided from a, you know, prepubescent boy to a princess queen. It makes sense. But then you turned it into a whole thing. And it's a little weird. I will only call it a little weird. But it's a little weird, and there's not a payoff for the weirdness. The weirdness is unnecessary. I don't what how it's portrayed in this film, and Jim, I think you referenced that. It's fine in this film. It's a puppy love on one side, and it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a teenager that's basically saying, "Oh, isn't that cute?" That's all. It's, that's all it's being okay, portrayed. Okay, I was wrong. The actors are nine years apart. They are the characters are five years apart, so it's okay. written as characters five years. That's apart. kind of what I assume they were going with, with respect yeah. to it. In, uh, in character, it's not even as weird as we, the audience, feel like it is, but it's unnecessary. That, that I guess that's my thing. Is it's not that weird, but it is weird, and there's no payoff for the weirdness. There's no reason they didn't have to, and yeah, oh gosh, just just why? Questionable choices were made all over the place, and this is. Two, two, two questions in terms of this seems we've kind of gone through. How do you feel about R2-D2 and C-3PO being in this film and meeting in, in, in this film? How do you guys feel about the characters? That, that turns the background of the characters. It was awesome. We got to see the first time that R2-D2 met C-3PO. I was losing my shit. Like, I th- that's still very cool to me. Now, you, you could pick it apart and say, well, isn't that convenient? Well, yeah, it's conf- they wanted to show you the first time they met. That's why. Yeah, so yes, it's convenient. But I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was fine. Uh, I have uh, some mixed feelings about C-3PO's origin as it is here and how it's played with later a little bit, but not any, not not even enough that I was going to bring it up because I think it's fine. And them meeting, fine. Yeah, there's a lot of coincidences, but real life has Star Wars. Wars. Is, you look back in time, there's a lot of weird coincidences, like the cast, the reception in year one of Star Trek Voyager affected the U.S. presidential elections, and I can show you that cause-and-effect relationship because it happened. Coincidences are weird, and they all happen, because that's how cause-and-effect happens. Well, that, they, that's the whole point of, like, the fact that, like, interesting, miraculous things are happening shouldn't, like, that's why they're telling the story. Like, this exactly. is something interesting that happened. It's not and, just people sitting around. And that's before you add in that the Force wills as as the Force wills. Like, the Force makes yeah. stuff-ish. That you can hand-wave that, or you can dislike that as a hand-wave. You get coincidences even without that. And if you add that in, you can hand wave anything. Um, I thought it was fine. Uh, I, I, C-3PO, you know, it's a little weird that this kid was starting to build a protocol droid that can speak Sith and all the other languages under the sun. Um, it's, it's well, that's a, just a matter of, it put, you know, getting the getting software. The, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's a little weird. Like, what, what did he do around the house for them? Why did he do that? And he wanted to. He was tinkering. He made a pod racer. He made this guy. He's a very it, inventive 10-year-old. It's a little weird that this is the thing he decided to build, and also that he had it that much finished, but still naked. Like I, I don't know. It's a little weird, but it's fine. I even that I didn't mind, and yeah, they had to meet at some point. I had forgotten. I had forgotten how much I love R two all the time, every time, forever. And I see that he was just the luckiest of the three random mecha droids. survived. They were just Ah! mecha droids, and two of them exploded, and he didn't explode by chance. And then, you know, it's basically the R2-D2 story, the whole nine movie. 
basically. Yeah, I've got I've got some I got a I got a backlash on R two D two take that I'm gonna I'm gonna take you later. Oh. But I just oh. want to point out why Spencer's such a great co host because you said the thing about like I think you were going down the road of like Anakin, did he write this programming, which he didn't do and I and I said, No, he did the he just took the and I'm literally with my hand, like inserting a floppy disk. That's how stupid I am. And Spencer goes, Software. Software. Yeah, I'm like, here for it. That was very helpful. Thank you, Spencer. Two other two little uh, quick things. Um, I agree also with the cover. Like, it's a sand planet, dude. You want to keep sand out of electronics. Put the cover on is like the first thing that you do. But you know, very uh, good point. Very good. Um, uh, another question, and I have to bring this up because a lot of people brought it up. Do you feel that Watto is a Jewish stereotype? Because he is one of what cited is about three different possible racial stereotypes in Phantom Menace. And so, wanted to throw it out to y'all. Do you think that they're playing with Jewish stereotypes with that character? Jamie? I think yes, and I think I'm not the right person to ask since I'm not in that subgroup, but I think yes. That's kind of the impression I get. Uh, even I probably was told that before I came up with it myself. As a 13-year-old, I'm sure that I, that... I, same, same vote. I would not have caught it. Now that someone has pointed out in terms of the greedy character that has a somewhat vaguely Eastern European accent and the large nose and wearing in the sequel what is, appears to be a yarmulke in some shape or form. Eh, yeah, and, I mean, he, and, he, and, and, he's, and he's green and he's got wings and he flies and he's which, which from a desert planet. Stereotypes, but I mean, a issue. No, absolutely not. No, yeah. this is ridiculous. This is reading shit. Into, like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I think that when you're trying to create an alien, some aliens have like you create these different features, and then from there you can take, you can start pulling the attributes that you want to make the point that it's a stereotype, and you leave all the rest behind. The fact that he has wings, we're just not going to talk about. We're just going to talk about the big nose, right? So it's like there's you can a, just pull a, a all of, of the Shylock here. Sir. There's at least you can pull touch. all of the little things you want to to prove the point, and you leave everything else about the character behind. So if I was creating the character, I'd be pretty frustrated by it. I didn't get that, and I don't get it now. But that's just me. So, so it, it, t- 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 you are right that you. Just make characters, and if you randomly made a character in a random character generator with a hundred attributes, every single character you make is going to have at least two that are in some stereotype that happen to go together. But t- take for a moment, imagine a list of every well name stereotype of Jewish people and Asian people and African American people. Now take every single one of those attributes on that list and assign them to the character in this movie that they most apply to. And I think they group in very specific ways between three subgroups. Like, all of them, if you were assigning them, would go to Watto. They come from the Jewish stereotypes, I think. So but African-American would be Jar Jar? I've heard that happen. J- Jamaican, even the ears are kind of it's throwing the, off it's, dreadlocks. It's, his, his ears look like dreadlocks is why he's Jamaican. I understand no, the, the accent. accent I understand Jamaican. the accent. Absolutely. But from there, I would not say he looks like an African-American person. He's a fucking cartoon creation. Like, no, I, I, the accent poor. But again, I, I tried to address that earlier in the sense of like they were – I wish what they had done is what I've seen in other world building shows where you have to have an accent. And therefore, you create a new one as opposed to, okay, well, we have to give it an accent. Let's just start, like, randomly pulling accents that we know. It'd be a lot better if you just don't take any accent that we would resonate with because then people start drawing these parallels. But the, but the, the idea that, like, Jar Jar is supposed to be, like, a black guy is, like, uh, that, 
I understand the accent, but other than that, it's a what? floppy-haired alien. Give me a break. Oh, ret- ret- returning to the plot, one thing that's besides, sorry, Jamie, you did something else on this point? I, I, I was just going to say, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong on any of that, because I'm, I'm not going to take a strong stance on this. But let's just say, let's, let's say the other two, Asian stereotypes and Jewish stereotypes, and then for each of those stereotypes, you assigned one character in this movie to assign them to, it seems like they would kind of all be bunched in Watto and the Trade Federation in a very specific way. It seems coincidental that so many of these stereotypes were grouped in a very specific negative character. You keep saying very specific as if the list is long. What you mean is there's like a couple. What you mean is the it sounds like an Asian guy, the Trade Federation, and he's got a robe on. That's what you mean, because it's not a list of 50 things. It's a list of a couple things. I'm, I'm go not, ahead. Then, I'm, okay. I'm well, then go ahead. Give me, give me, I wouldn't give me know it's 15 things. Me. Give me 15 things that link the creation <laughs> to I, Asian people. I couldn't give you 15 things about any of the characters. They're too flat for that. Oh, that's harsh. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, but let's argue these points. Let, let's move on to a different plot point. I'm curious about this. Um, we talked about the level of the quality of the acting. The, the, starting on Tatooine and starting with the characters meet on Tatooine, we start for the first time to see characters interacting that aren't with Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan in the room, and we start to see, I think, some of the worst acting. Like, some of the worst acting in this film, In I, I'm not trying to bash the kid, did the best he could, but an, young Anakin and young Padme interacting in a room is really, re, it's some of the worst acting in the film. Lana could be on the director for not giving enough directions, quality of the script, whatever else. But now that we're starting to get into scenes of where Qui-Gon is being less directly involved with everybody, some of the bad acting or some of the bad directing or writing becomes all the more apparent. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to like shit on a 10 year old, but I, I, you know, obviously it didn't work. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more, I'm more critical of uh, Natalie Portman than most people are. Like, I think that she's gotten a massive pass from this film series because we all like Natalie Portman. Like, I mean, she seems like a really great person and she's a Harvard graduate and she's an activist and she does all this great stuff. Good for her. But she was supposed to be a big name that was brought to this and her scenes are pretty weak. So I, I, I think... I think what happened is that Natalie Portman did not grow up a Star Wars fan, thought this was a silly kids movie, and did not bring her fastball. And then started to realize as the series went on, I might need to take this a little more seriously. That, that's just my head headcanon. And it's interesting, too. Her being a bad actor actually kind of works for certain scenes. It doesn't work when she's playing Padme. None of that works when she's playing Padme because it doesn't make sense for her to be back there. But when she's wearing the queenly mask for certain scenes – that actually kind of works because she's brand new to the role. They say that she was just elected. She's in some ways trying to represent that she's strong. So the fact that the acting comes across as bad actually kind of works. I just don't know whether any of that was intentional or not. Yeah, it kind of does work when she's super flat as the monarch. Um, I agree with that. Uh, question for you, Spencer. Mm-hmm. So, when, by, so when we get – is the pod race, in your mind, 15 minutes of wasted space? Was it necessary? Like, I feel like people are really pulled. Like, that, that is a really, like, really hate it, really don't. I talked to my uh, my brother about this again, biggest Star Wars fan I know. His take on this was 
movies are still supposed to be fun. As serious as we take Star Wars, as much as we love Star Wars, movies are still supposed to be fun, and this was just a fun scene. I agree with that, but I also agree with the take that it went on a little long. What is your thought? I, I, if the if the you know, editors came to the came to George Lucas and said, "You got to get this film underneath two hours," it's a scene you can cut. It's a sure. scene that's it's a scene. I mean, as I said, you could you could remove Tatooine entirely and just go to straight to Coruscant and meet Anakin there and have all that out. Do that. Kind of